All right, good evening, everybody. Tonight we're going to be in Acts chapter 23. If you want to turn there in your Bibles, Acts 23 and 24. Yeah, we're waiting. Good now? There he is. All right, let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word and the opportunity we have to be in it, and the kids also in the back. Uh, they're getting taught and singing, and we just pray that you bless both sides here. Bless all the souls that are here in this building that as we uh, spend this time with you in worship and prayer and in the study of your word that it would bear much fruit in our lives and that you'd be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. I kind of like this next section. Um, Paul got in trouble, has been in trouble. He's always in trouble. Um, and he's, he's been on his way on this quest, uh, we, we believe, being led by the Spirit to get to Jerusalem. You know, he, just, he wants to get there. He wants to... Is such a heart for his people. And in fact, at one point he says, I, I would rather be cursed if I knew they could be saved. That's a paraphrase, but that's basically what he said. If, if it meant me going to hell, I'd gladly go to hell if my countrymen could get saved. Um, that's how much he loves them. And uh, he's had this heart for these people for such a long time. And so he's there and it didn't go well. And we've been studying that. It, his first opportunity to share with this mob, this crowd that um, he tried to become all things to all men. He was trying to do all the rituals without compromising his own faith in Jesus Christ and, and didn't have a problem with it and was just becoming all things to all men. And, and they just came up with an assumption, an accusation that he had brought a Gentile into the temple and they all threw a fit and they, they thought that was, that was, that's it, let's kill the guy. And so they're beating Paul senseless and finally the Roman soldiers show up and say, we got to get this guy saved and we don't need an uproar in Jerusalem. Last thing anybody wants as a Roman who's in charge of Jerusalem is to have an uproar in Jerusalem. That's how you get killed or you get reassigned at the minimum. And uh, so got to squash this, got to put this down. So go grab the guy. He must have done something wrong. And they don't know what he did, but he must have did something. Anyway, so they get to the conclusion that we, we don't know what this guy did. He, he says he's a Roman citizen and they all withdrew from him because they were going to beat him until, he, until the, the Romans are going to now beat him. You know, tell, tell us what you know, kind of thing. Bright lights on him and everything. The Gestapo kind of moment. And he's like, you know what? You're not supposed to beat a Roman citizen. They all, oh, because that's true. You beat a Roman citizen, you die, you know, without a, without a trial. Um, you know, and, and so they were all scared to death. They'd gone too far. And uh, Anyway, finally sits him down. That's where we left off last time. Sits Paul down with all the counsel over here which is not what the Jewish council thought was going to happen, brought the Jewish council in that wanted to kill him in the mob, stirred him up, um, brought Paul in, and they sat him down and says, now, tell us what's going on here kind of thing. Well, that's where we pick up our story today. It says this in verse 1, chapter 23, then Paul looked earnestly at the council, still wants him saved, right? Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. The idea is, it's the same idea he had with the crowd was, look, I'm a good Jewish boy. I'm a good Jewish man. I still am. In fact, this is what good Jewish people do is they receive their Messiah. He's trying to explain. He's not going to say that right off the bat, but that's what he's getting. He says, look, I, I studied the law. I, I, I inquired of the law. I prayed over it. I was waiting for this Messiah, and, 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 and he found me. And so I received the Messiah. Nothing's changed. I've been the same Genesis Jew as I am all the way up here to the New Testament. I'm still a Jew's Jew. And that's how he's trying to talk to them. But they didn't like to hear that. I mean, one sentence is all he gets. Men and brethren, 
I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. And the high priest Ananias commanded those who stood by him to strike him on the mouth. And Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. Now that's what I've been waiting for right there. I don't, I don't think he's in the flesh, but I think it hurt. I think it stung. And getting hit in the mouth. Isn't, isn't that what Mike Tyson says? He says, everybody's got a plan until you get hit in the mouth. You know, that's, that's it. You know, and then the, there's no plan anymore. It's, it's, it's adrenaline and fists. I bet that hurt, you know? I mean, and here's why I think it hurt more than normal is because I don't think he's seeing right right now. We're going to see that here. I think his eye problem is acting up. We get the impression from this conversation that he has with these guys that they're weeping and something's happening. We, we know from other scriptures that Paul had a thorn in his side. And we don't know. Some people say it was a person. Some people say it was, it was a sin of his. I, I don't think it's that at all. I, I definitely rule that one out. I don't think it's a sin that he struggled with. Um, but I thought maybe it was a person that followed him around that was always a pain. Um, or it was a physical ailment that he had that just wouldn't get healed. You know, he, I mean, the guy had aprons that he would use for sewing and making tents. And that's probably why he's blind right now is he's doing this all day long and he could heal everybody else with this apron, but didn't heal himself, you know, and this goes to show you, that's just how God works. He doesn't necessarily do what we want him to do. He does what he wants to do when he wants to do it. That being the case, um, he gets hit in the mouth, probably didn't see it coming, which is hard when you can't like prepare for it um, and, and at least brace. So he responds with, God will strike you, you whitewashed wall. For you sit to judge me according to the law, and do you command me to be struck contrary to the law? Now here's what's happening. Paul is a part of this Sanhedrin. He was anyway. He knows what's right and wrong. He stands, and, and it was an honorable position for him, and he stood in this position. He took these seats. He took it very seriously to do what's according to the law. Now, regardless of what we think of the law and how we think it's maybe too restrictive and it's too this or that or the other thing, he, he did it as unto the Lord. We're going to follow the law. We're going to listen to everything. We're going to do what the Bible says. And if we don't know what the Bible says, we're going to find out. What the, I mean, that's how he was. So for them to flippantly, in a trial situation, come over there and pop him in the mouth in the middle of that, he knows as a part of the Sanhedrin, this isn't right. You do not do this. Can you imagine a judge in the court saying, bailiff, go over there and smack the defendant once for me. You hold him in contempt of court. I mean, there's things that you can do, but you just don't go over there and start bludgeoning the guy, you know? So he's mad. All because he said, I've been a good Jew up until now, up until this day. And so he calls them for what they are. You guys are a bunch of whitewashed tombs is what the Bible says. Whitewashed walls. Jesus said something similar. In Matthew 27 or 23, 27, he said the same thing. There are a bunch of whitewashed tombs. What they mean by that is you look great on the outside, but you're nothing but a grave. You got dead men inside. And there's a lot of people walking with the name of Jesus Christ on their, or around their neck. And there's nothing alive in there at all. They're not born again. They're not different. They're not, they don't act different. They don't talk different. They're not changed. They're not in love with him. They don't worship they don't pray earnestly. They don't, none of their life matches up with what their thing around their neck says, you know? And it's like a whitewashed tomb. You look great. You got the haircut you're supposed to have when you come to church. You're wearing your suit and tie or, you know, flannel. Uh, <laughs> it's flannel weather, all right? 
Um, you got your suit and tie on. You look, kids are all, you know, eh. But at times it can be a whitewashed tomb. Not always. It's nothing wrong with looking good. There's nothing wrong with taking care of yourself. And I don't mind the haircut and the tie and the suit and flannel and all that stuff. And kids in a row and, and obedient. I love that. Provided you're a born-again believer in Jesus Christ. I'm all for both. But with, without Christ, you're, you're just a whitewashed tomb. So he calls them on it. You guys are a bunch of tombs. You don't say that. Now, here's the thing. You think his first statement got him hit. Don't you think his second statement should have got him hit? It's a pretty big deal to say that. You guys did something you shouldn't have done. He says this. You did something contrary to the law. You broke the law by doing this. It's contrary to the law. And they didn't say, smack him again. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Here's what their response was. And those who stood by said, do not, do you, do you revile God's high priest? Well, Paul responds, I did not know, brethren, that he was the high priest, for it is written, you shall not speak evil of a ruler of your people. Now, Paul's in the room. Why can't he see him? He knows this guy. He knows this guy. This guy was still in charge when he was a part of the Sanhedrin. You'd recognize him. He's not seeing. He's not seeing things correctly. I didn't know the high priest said that. And I'll give you another example. We're going to go on here in verse 6, but I'm going to come back to this. But when Paul perceived that one part were Sadducees and the other Pharisees, what do you mean perceived? I can't see the crowd. I can't see the group. But I get the sense that I've got both the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the same room. I perceive that. You don't have to perceive. You can just, you can just look. I mean, we might call that perception, but that's not the words you used. He didn't say, and I saw that there were Pharisees and Sadducees in the room, so I divided the room in half, basically. No, he says, I perceived it. So he's getting this sense as he's listening to everybody. Oh, I got a mixed group here. So I don't think he's seeing like he's supposed to. And their response tells me everything we need to know about whether Paul was right to call this guy out. Yeah, you're the high priest, and we're not supposed to yell at the high priest. And i sorry, I didn't know that. I didn't know you were the high priest. Two things happening there. First of all, if you were the high priest and you were really acting like the high priest, you wouldn't have made that order. You wouldn't have said that. But you're a figurehead, and you're acting like it, and you're so blinded with hate towards Jesus Christ and the gospel, so blinded with jealousy that you're willing to break the law for someone who just says, I'm a good Jew. So when he called him a whitewashed tomb, he doesn't get hit again for that. They just challenge him for the fact that, look, that's the high priest. He can say what he wants. Paul says, okay, fine. He's the, he's the high priest. I, I, shouldn't have, I shouldn't have spoken evil of him. He still shouldn't have hit me or had me hit, but they shouldn't have spoken evil. Um, so he perceives that they're Sadducees and Pharisees, and this is degraded quickly. I mean, this is escalating. So as he perceives that there's a, a mixed group, this is like Democrats and Republicans maybe, or, or whatever, Sadducees and Pharisees, he cried out in the council, men and brethren, I'm a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee, concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. Said, yells it out the top of his lungs so everybody can hear. Because there's probably a bunch of murmuring. In our, we just, he said, hey, I'm a Pharisee. Oh, he's one of us. And the others are saying, oh, he's one of them. Concerning the hope of the resurrection of the dead, I'm being judged. And when he had said this, a dissension arose between the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Hey, a house divided against itself can't stand, right? 
Well, sometimes that works to our advantage, and Paul uses it. I just think it's interesting. I've watched this guy go through, we have watched this guy go through, Paul, several of these moments, and he reacts differently, doesn't he? It's not the same uh, modus operandi every single time. He doesn't just say, there's a da 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 it's a, you know what, today I'm not going to get hit. Remember that with the Roman guys as they were going to beat him and, and examine him? And he says, you know, I'm not going to get hit today. I'm a Roman citizen. Stop hitting me. I don't want, I'm not, I'm not going to get broken today. And in this case right here, he's like, I could go on with this. But it's almost like this is so fruitless. I mean, I, he got so far along in his story when it was the mob, right? And it was like towards the end that they brought up, uh, the, uh, uh, what did he bring up at the end? I forgot. What was the trigger word for them? Gentiles, oh, yeah, they all flipped out, Gentiles. That's why we want to kill you, you know. And it's like this time he says, I just got one sentence out and I've already gotten hit in the mouth. I'm done. I'm done. Hey, guess what? It's because of the resurrection of the dead. And that's true. It is because of the resurrection. He's talking about Jesus. It's because of Jesus Christ. He doesn't say that. He just says, hey, the resurrection of the dead, that's why I'm being judged. And they start arguing with each other because, it says, um, for the Sadducees say there is no resurrection and no angel or spirit, but the Pharisees confess both. Then there arose a loud outcry, and the scribes of the Pharisees' party arose and protested, saying, we find no evil in this man. Of course they don't. He's wearing red. You know? <laughs> hey, you know, whatever works. But if a spirit of an angel has spoken to him, let us not fight against God. So it's teams now. We're on teams. Hey, there's a strategy there. I understand how it works in Washington. I think we all understand how it works in Washington. There's teams. There is. And you can be idealistic and say, I'm only voting for the one person that actually backs up with everything I believe in. Good luck. You know? And then the country goes to hell in a handbasket because we didn't find the one person we were going to go find. Or we say, you know what? They most represent everything I believe. It's a slower descent, maybe. Hopefully, there's, we can work our way into you know, gaining more uh, traction in this group. But this group over here is absolutely crazy, you know, um, and, and they are completely anti-Christ, and they are completely this. So it isn't a matter of I'm neither. I'm a good Christian person. Sorry, I don't mean to make that sound, but I get tired of that on Facebook. I, I'm above it all. I, I think we should all act like adults. Oh, I just, you know, oh, no. no. And here's why I get upset with that is because you saying that makes it sound like you don't need to participate or be a part of it or you're above it or that you have no impact or, and you know what? You would have been worthless during the revolutionary war. And I I don't understand you. And so, and we probably won't ever understand each other. Um, I understand Jesus Christ is King. I know that. I know that God's got it. I know that. I understand that. But that doesn't mean that we get to sit back and just let everything go. We don't just sit back and say, well, you know what? God's in charge. Well, sure, he's in charge of uh, evangelism too. So you can sit and watch TV and tune out. I mean, what, what's the, what are you talking about? I don't understand that. So uh, although Paul did this, he did this on purpose. He picked a side. I, I am a Pharisee, and he was. He was one of the Pharisees when he was there, and it worked. It was, we're done. Now they're arguing amongst themselves. They're not hitting him in the face anymore, um, and it's to his advantage. And, and, and before we move on, uh, how in the world, how do you function as a Sadducee? I mean, I don't even understand that. They don't believe in resurrection. 
That means they don't believe in life after death. They don't believe you're, there's nothing later. And then they don't believe in angels or a spirit. I'm like, what do you teach on Saturday at the synagogue when it's your turn? Hello, good luck. We're all going to die and become dirt and nothingness. Amen, you know, or whatever they say at the end. I was like, no, how do you even survive as a, as a group like that? I don't get it. I never understood that. There must be more to it that I'm not understanding. But as far as what I've studied, Sadducees, are, they're, they are sad. I mean, they're just sad. There's nothing to hope for. At least the Pharisees were like, uh, I don't know. I think we're going to live forever someplace. Now, when there arose a great dissension, the commander, fearing lest Paul might be pulled to pieces by them, commanded the soldiers to go down and take him by force from among them and bring him into the barracks. Now, they mean, because I run movies in my head when I read this stuff. I don't know if you could see this stuff too. I'm like, hey, go get him. Pull him out of there by force. Do they mean Paul doesn't want to leave? So they're going to have to yank. Come on, Paul, you got to leave him. Or are they punching and beating up all the Pharisees and Sadducees to get him loose from their grips kind of thing? You know, I see that that moment where they scoop Paul up, you know, and they're kicking people out of the way so they can get him out of That's kind of how I see it. I'm like, these guys are not playing around. These Romans don't play around. And I love how God uses them sometimes. And I, here's the thing. What we're, what we're watching here is Paul reluctantly, reluctantly, lots of leaser, letting go um, not forgetting, but letting go of ministering to these people because they just don't want to hear it. It's pearls before swine right now. And he's, gravita- or he's being pulled in a direction that although he's willing to go, it isn't his primary focus, which is to the Gentiles. Okay, So he's being moved from that. Um, and you'll experience that in your walk sometimes. You'll have a heart. I know this is, I know, I know, I know. And as bad as I want to get there and as bad as I want to do that, it just, it's just not happening. And I, I feel like it's forced. I mean, every time I open my mouth, I'm, I don't even get the words out. Now I was up to eight words or 10 words before I got punched in the face. This is hard ground. I mean, this is hard, till, you know, untillable ground to plant seeds in. And he's getting pulled in a different direction right now. And that's okay. Um, I believe in this next section is where Paul writes Hebrews. I think that's his, his, uh, his opus, you know? Hey, you guys won't listen to me. You don't like my face. You don't like my hooked nose, my squinty eyes, my eye problem. You don't like my stature. You don't, you don't like me. I get that. So he writes this anonymous letter. That's why I think it's written by Paul. A love letter to the Hebrews telling them how Hebrew Jesus really is. How Jewish this Messiah truly was. And how fulfilling he is to all them. And he writes this in such a way that I don't get any credit for it. That's Paul. That is Paul. It's through and through Paul. He doesn't care less whether anybody knows it was him or not. Writes this letter and sends it off to them and say, read this at your convenience. And it's written for all time. You can read this anytime you want to. You know, It's documented and it's thorough. I mean, it's so thorough. I think that's what's happening right here. So you don't want to hear my voice? And he's being moved away from it. They take him into the barracks by force. And here's what follows. Verse 11. But the following night, the Lord stood by him. And that is one of the sweetest sentences you'll ever read. And said, be of good cheer, Paul. For as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. 
Jesus doesn't call Paul, Paul all the time. I don't know if you noticed that. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's his Jewish name, Saul. Jewish man, Jewish man, why are you, why are you, why are you persecuting the Jewish Messiah? You know, you know this, Saul. When I'm going to send you, though, to Rome, Paul, that's his Roman name. I want to send you to these guys. They need to hear. It's got to get beyond. I know Jerusalem's your focus. I know, and, I, and it is. It's the apple of my eye, too. But we got to go to the ends of the earth. And Rome is a great way to do that. And that's what I want to do next is I want to do Rome. So I'm going to take you there. And you're going you're gonna to have to testify there of me, just like you did here in Jerusalem. But he starts off with a very important phrase, be of good cheer. Because he's not. This is disappointing. Who knows? After a day of sitting there in a night, could I have done that better? Should I have pulled that Pharisee card that soon? Was I a weakling? Was I a wimp? Was I afraid to get, you know, who knows what's going through his mind? But Jesus shows up and stands beside him and says, be of good cheer, Paul, for as you have testified for me in Jerusalem, so you must also bear witness at Rome. Now, Rome is, is big. It's a, huge, it's a huge deal to be able to stand in, in that kind of environment and talk about Jesus with the emperor or whatever, Caesar, you know. This is huge. It's the biggest thing on, on the world. This is the major leader, the leader. And Paul sees it as second best. All right, I guess I'll go to Rome. I'll go to Rome, you know. Be of good cheer, Paul. Um. Not every ministry that you want to do is, well, it doesn't come to fruition all the time. Or at least it doesn't come to fruition when you want it to, to happen, you know? And that's important to know, to, to although you were led, I mean, you think about Philip, who was in a, a part of a thriving, uh, you know, revival taking place, or not a revival because it's the first time, but I mean, people are getting saved and everything. And God transports him and tells him, why don't you go to this road that leads down to Gaza, and minister to one guy in a chariot. All right. And he did it gladly. Things just happen the way God wants them to happen and brings them about. I think it's interesting. I think about my own walk with the Lord, and you should think about your own walk with the Lord and what God's done so far and the twists and the turns that you would have never thought five years ago, 10 years ago would have taken place 20 years ago. How in the world did I end up here? You know? Here I am, and this is the road God has for me. I, wouldn't have, I would have never chose it, but based off of my being led of the Spirit, open to what he wants to do, I find myself in a great place doing what God calls me to do, and that's what's going to happen to Paul here. Paul, Paul, be of good cheer, Paul. You have to testify of me in Jerusalem, but also in Rome. Rome, that's where I want to go here. That's my next focus. And when it was day, some of the Jews... <laughs> When it was day, some of the Jews banded together and bound themselves under an oath, saying that they would neither eat nor drink till they had killed Paul. Now, there were more than 40 who had formed this conspiracy. They came to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves under a great oath, and we will eat nothing until we have killed Paul. Now, therefore, or now you, therefore, together with the council, suggest to the commander that he, Paul, be brought down to you tomorrow as though you were going to make further inquiries concerning him, but we are ready to kill him before he comes near. I'm saying it that way 
Because these guys are going to be some hungry guys in the Bible. They've got this great plan. And you know how it is. You know what? I hate Paul. I am not going to eat or drink until Paul's dead. Yeah, me too. And you can just see these 40 guys getting all hyped up together. And we're marching in there. We're going to talk. We did this. You know, we made this big promise to God. We're not going to eat or drink till he's dead. Oh, that's a big deal. You know, wow, you guys must really be serious. We are. I'd love to see that. You got to draw that, John. You got to draw that for me. These guys hiding in the bushes, you know, waiting to come out. Because the next scene is with Paul riding with 470 Roman soldiers past him, maybe past him, probably didn't go the same direction, but riding past him, and they're all just, and then you got to have this gurgling sound of their stomachs, like, <laughs> this ain't happening, you know? We get so excited sometimes, you know? We're going to do this for God. We're going to do this. We're going to make a vow. We're going to make a promise. And then God just, just tweaks it. And you're like, oh, man, that's not going to happen the way I thought it was going to happen. So they make this big promise. So when Paul's sister's son, you grab that? So this is his nephew. I don't ever think of Paul having relatives. You ever think of Paul having family and relatives around him all the time? I figured he was just, just you know, like a hermit prophet that comes out of his hole, you know, you know, sees his shadow and that's it. And he, no, he's like this real guy that has family. He's got a sister. Paul, quit getting beat up all the time, you know. And a nephew that just thinks, man, my uncle, he gets beat up all the time, you know. And there they are. And so I just like it when the Bible throws that out there. It's like Jesus having brothers and sisters. You never think about that, really. What, that, what would that have been like? You know, hide and seek. <laughs> it's not fair, you know. <laughs> I know you know where I am, Jesus. <laughs> you know. So Paul, the sister's son, heard of their ambush. He went and entered the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions to him and said, Take this young man to the commander, for he has something to tell him. So he took him and brought him to the commander and said, Paul, the prisoner, called me to him. And he asked me to bring this young man to you. He has something to say to you. And the commander took him by the hand, went aside, and asked privately, what is it that you have to tell me? What's the big secret here? You know. And he said, the Jews have agreed to ask that you bring Paul down to the council tomorrow, as though they were going to inquire more fully about him. But do not yield to them, for more than 40 of them lie in wait for him. Men who have bound themselves by an oath that they will neither eat nor drink till they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for the promise from you. So the, the ambush is set. So the commander let the young man depart and, the commander, and commanded him, tell no one that you have revealed these things to me. Don't tell anybody that I know this. And he called for two centurions saying, prepare 200 soldiers, 70 horsemen, and 200 spearmen to go to Caesarea at the third hour of the night. And provide mounts to set Paul on and bring him safely to Felix the governor. Not going to go like they thought it did. I mean, I already spoiled it by telling you what happens. But not only did Jesus come up alongside Paul and say, be of good cheer. I'm going to take you to Rome. You put him on a horse. You do know that most of these Roman soldiers are walking, right? And the prisoner that they're taking there is on a horse. I just love how God can do that for people sometimes. It's like, 
You know, you don't deserve that. You don't. It's like getting picked up at the airport in a limousine or something. It's like, yeah, I thought I was going to have to find an Uber or something or, or thumb it, you know, or whatever. And there's this limousine waiting for you. This is nice kind of thing. Doesn't ever happen to me, but it's all right. Um, that's the idea. God is really taking care of him. And he's not going to end up in a prison when he gets there either. He's going to be set in a place called the Praetorium, which is Felix's headquarters. Okay. I mean, there might've been a, a, like a detainment cell there. I mean, it could be, there could be, but the way it describes Paul's life there, a lot of liberty and freedom and going in and out and seeing all of his friends and people providing for him. It's a lot more cushy than like the center of, you know, uh, the Romans, uh, you know, uh, torture chambers or whatever. So it's a really nice place. It looks like, and he's going to get to go on horseback. He doesn't even have to walk. Um, So pretty nice. So they do this. He gives them a letter. Here's what it says. Claudius Lysias, to the most excellent governor Felix, greetings. This man was seized by the Jews and was about to be killed by them. Coming with the troops, I rescued him, having learned that he was a Roman. (laughs) That's not exactly what happened, is it? (laughs) He didn't go rescue him because he was a Roman. He rescued him to go beat him up to find out what was wrong with the guy. Thought he was an Egyptian, actually. Uh, But, you know, as long as he's writing the letter, he's going to write the story the way he wants to write it. And when I wanted to know the reason uh, they accused him, I brought him before their council. He's skipped a lot here, hasn't he? I, find out, I found out that he was accused concerning questions of their law, um, but had nothing charged against him deserving of death or chains. And when it was told me that, he w- that the Jews lay in wait for the man, I sent him immediately to you and also commanded his accusers to state before you the charges against him farewell. So... Not only have I sent this letter to you, I've sent another letter to them. I've sent Paul to you, and right behind him should be these other guys to explain things. These guys are not interested in going to talk to Felix, by the way. They're not interested in that. Um, and it's going to take two years for them to show up. Then the soldiers, as they were commanded, took Paul and brought him by night to Ant- uh, Antipatris, Antip- Antipatris, sorry. The next day, they left the horsemen to go on with him and returned to the barracks where they came to Caesarea and had delivered the letter to the governor. Uh, They also presented Paul to him. Uh, And when the governor had read it, he asked what province he was from. And when he understood that he was from Cilicia, he said, I will hear you when your accusers also have come. And he commanded him to be kept in Herod's praetorium. So I'm going to wait and and until your accusers show up, and then I'm gonna, um, then we'll go over the, the the court things with you there. I don't think we could do 24 justice tonight. Um, I want to spend some time in that, so um, we're gonna call it quits right here. Um, it's a little early. Sorry, uh, children's ministry. Sorry, Alex, because um, you know they got crafts and stuff. So don't go grab your kids right away. Give them about 10 more minutes before you go grab the kids because the teachers aren't ready for you. But uh, to sum up. To, to, to show this, you can see Paul's struggle here. At this praetorium, he's going to spend, it says uh, um, it's going to take two years before they actually get there. Um, actually, the first section of, of chapter 24 tells us that uh, we believe he writes, or I believe, I should say I believe, he writes Hebrews during this time while he's at the praetorium. Um, it's his heart, it's his letter back to those who were so zealous for the law, for God, or so it seemed, that they were willing to not eat or drink until this heretic was dead. It's amazing how many heretics there are in, in, you know, in Christianity. 
in the sense, wrongly accused heretics. You know, Tyndall was a, a heretic. Uh, we're going to kill him. Uh, Martin Luther, he's a heretic. You know, kind of, there's a bunch of heretics that just want to walk with Jesus closer than anybody's ever walked with him before. It shouldn't be heretical to, dis, to want to do that, to follow God's word, provided you're not going outside of the bounds of Scripture, which none of those guys did. I mean, it was about Scripture um, that they were being killed for, or they were being killed or, or martyred, um, or they desired to martyr them. Poor Paul, I just want you guys to know the gospel, and um, they don't want to know it. I don't know what you do with that in your own walk with the Lord. There's just some people that just don't want to know it. And I don't say give up on them. I don't say that at all. I just, I guess I'm, as I get older in the Lord, and I've been ministering to certain people in my life now for 25 years, zero change. Not like a movement or like they're getting closer or anything. It's like, it's as if I've never said the name of Jesus to them. And it's like, do I keep doing it? You know, kind of thing. Well, yeah, you do. Because you don't know when it's going to hit. Uh, then you think back on your own life, and I'm thinking, by, by, by the time I started listening about Jesus, it was maybe three or four years of listening about Jesus before I actually fell in love with him like I have and was born again. Can I put a cap on it, like five years, and after that I can walk away? You can't. You can't. You keep going. I, but I don't want you to, I guess I want to leave you with this. Don't be discouraged by it because you're in good company with Paul, Saul. You're in good company there. And he wrote a love letter to them and desired for them to know so badly. Maybe that's what you need to do. Something that carries on afterwards. Maybe they'll read it in a moment of tenderness, which is what it takes. It takes that moment of tenderness. It takes a moment of defenses and walls down and it's just them. And you're maybe gone. And they open up your Bible because they're just trying to remember who you were. I mean, I'm, I'm coming up with stuff, you know. But I don't want you to give up hope. And they, and they see that letter, and it's written to you. They see their name on it. You know, I mean, who knows? And they read it, and they, and they get on their knees, and they accept Christ. After you're gone, I don't want you to ever give up on them. Paul never did. Although, every time I read stuff about Paul, I'm like, Paul, I just, I'm sorry they punch you in the mouth. I'm sorry they beat you every time you just try to share good news with them. I mean, the guy, the guy is harmless as a dove. He's wise as a serpent, harmless as a dove, never hurt a fly, you know, after he got saved anyway. Um, but the fruit from the Hebrews and, and from the Jewish people, now he's got good fruit. I mean, he's got some, but you're in good company when you don't have good fruit. I just want you to know that. But on the other hand, God also gives us times of encouragement with some fruit, some harvest time. We need that. Um, I mean, not everybody in the Bible got to have both a little bit of pain and suffering and nobody wants to hear me with a little bit of, oh my gosh, that was wonderful. Everybody received it with gladness. But I think as, from my walk, I've had both take place. I've had times where nothing's happening and I've had other times where I barely even spoke and that was it. That was easy. People got saved and God balances that stuff out. I think that's what we saw here with Paul. He's like, look, Paul, I know you love these Hebrews, but it's time for you to go from Jerusalem to, to Rome. And be of good cheer, I'm with you, standing with you here. And when he goes to Rome, there's a lot of fruit from Rome, a lot of fruit. Throughout his epistles, he writes, hey, tell everybody in Caesar's household, hi. He's going to spend two years at this praetorium. He's going to have rotations of guards in and out, 
He's telling everybody about Jesus that he knows. And these centurions are getting saved and these soldiers are getting saved and everybody's getting saved and it's spread throughout all of Rome just because this man was faithful to just be taken and sit still for two years. And God brought him, God brought him the people. It's neat. Let's pray. Oh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the encouragement that Paul brings and um, his life. And, and, and what I mean by that is the encouragement that you bring into his life. I and mean, we appreciate Paul, but he just loves you like we do. We appreciate how you use him and how you let and you guide and you move him from place to place. And he's willing to do whatever you want him to do. Um, and you give him fruit. Sometimes you give him leanness of soul and sometimes you give him an abundance, but um, none of these things move him. He's always consistent with you. Help us to be consistent with you, to take heed to ourselves and to our doctrine, to stay close to you in our prayer time, to continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, in the breaking of bread and prayers and fellowship with other believers. Help us to do those things that we're called to do, that we would never miss out and forget our first love, which is our relationship with you. And then we pray that others are blessed by our relationship with you. Bless these folks as they go tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.